Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Curl. I am your host, and this is going to be another episode of our NBA Draft Prospect Preview Series. In case you've missed it over the past couple weeks, Aaron Torres, you guys know him, the founder of Aaron Torres Media, him and I uh, have been talking and profiling some of the best NBA prospects in the upcoming draft from Victor Wembanyama to Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, which decision should the Hornets make there, to Anthony Black. We have done a ton of really good profiles on some of these prospects, so check those out in case you missed it. But today, we're going to go a little bit deeper into the draft. One thing that's very fascinating about this draft, in my opinion, is we have some prospects at the top, guys that I just mentioned, that are pretty consensus the best players in the draft. But one thing I've noticed is there's very little separation between some of the other prospects in the draft, guys that are projected to go anywhere from 5 to 15 to even later in the first round. And what we're going to be doing today is breaking down some of those games. But instead of Aaron joining me is a guy I love talking basketball with. He joined us a lot here on the podcast throughout this past college basketball season. And I'm really looking forward to having him back. Former D1 head coach Jamie and Christian is back on the show. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Good to be with you and uh, to be talking some hoops. Absolutely. Absolutely. So right off the bat, Coach, I wanted to ask you, because the NBA draft is such an exciting time for not only us as basketball fans, seeing where all these guys are going to go, but of course for these kids, guys that have worked so hard to get to this point. This is one of the best and biggest moments of their life so far. And I'm curious from a coaching perspective, did you ever coach anyone that was either drafted or got to the NBA? And when it came to draft day, or even have been around them as an assistant, like what was that feeling like for not only you, but seeing the feeling in those kids' eyes, like, shoot, this is a dream come true. You've worked so hard uh, to get to this point. Talk about that feeling and what it's like. You know, we've had a few guys. I've been fortunate through the years to have a few guys that are in that draft conversation and a few guys that were drafted. In the VCU days, we had guys like Javante Reddick and guys like Troy Daniels. Those guys were right in the draft conversation, draft day, signed the day after the draft, which is sometimes better to go as a free agent than being drafted into the second round. I recruited a kid named Marcus Thornton at William & Mary who ended up being drafted by the Boston Celtics in the second round. That was a, a big day for me watching a guy who I saw play as a 15-year-old uh, that not many people believed in that I knew was an amazing talent, and he showcased this talent, and he's had an amazing career. Um, and then also this year with Jalen Pickett's in the draft, that's an exciting time for us watching Jalen and, and uh, confident that he'll go somewhere in, this, in the late first or second round. Just a, had an amazing season. And then next year, I'm going to have a few guys. Joe Bama still will be a guy that I think will have a great season at VCU. Jameson Battle um, at Ohio State now, and then James Bishop. And those three guys will all have opportunities a year from now to be in this conversation. Um, it's an amazing day for all of them. A lot of dreams coming true for everybody involved, including their coaches. Definitely. So let's get into some of these prospects. And I'll ask you kind of a big picture question, big picture view to start off. And and kind of going back to what I said earlier, the thing that I find pretty interesting about this draft is you look at the guys at the top and we know just how good, just how dynamic they are. Guys like Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller. But I'm honestly having a tough time. I keep going back and forth between some of the guys that are going to go after them and just separating, you know, guys like Cam Whitmore, the Thompson twins, 
Keontae George, Jarris Walker. These are all really good players that I could see being really good in the NBA. I think one thing we always talk about in not only the draft, but in basketball in general is fit and how important that is. There are certain organizations, let's be honest, if you're about to get drafted or if you're uh, representing someone that's about to get drafted, you're going to be a little bit scared going there. But then you have other organizations where you know they have a winning pedigree, you know they have a winning culture, and boom, right there, you're feeling pretty good about them. So just off the top, is there anything that stands out to you in particular about this draft class or any prospects in particular? If you were to give a takeaway or two about this class, what would it be? I think it's really, I think the draft gets really difficult after number two. Um, And I think you and I might've talked about this briefly, you know, even with Scoot Henderson, who we all believe is going to be really good. It's not necessarily that, but the idea of, of a guy at that size going three, um, you know, just in the history of the NBA, it just haven't, hasn't been that many guys that go that early that are that size. Um, but he's an amazing talent. Like, I think we'd all feel super comfortable if he was at like five or six, right? I think we'd be, oh, that's a great. Um, so I think that the, the questions begin, especially when you look at a team like Portland with the size of the guards that they have already, you know, it just, it becomes like a really interesting pick for everyone, uh, when you get past number two. I like the potential of the guys we have in this draft. The skill level, you can tell they've all had great training. I think basketball training has consistently gotten better through the years. The ability of these guys at their size to make the passes and plays that they have the ability to make and the ability to make outside shots, you know, I think is really unique. Um, They're going to be really, really good rotational players from this draft. Maybe a few superstars, but some really good rotational players if they land in the right situations and have great teaching early on. Definitely. And I think that's something we could say about a lot of drafts, but I agree. Like this one in particular, I feel like there are a ton of players like Keontae George, Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker, just a few guys that come to mind where you know how good of players they could be based on what they did in college. But at the same time, it felt like we didn't see the absolute best of them. And that's what happens, especially in today's version of college basketball, where there's such an emphasis on age with the extra COVID year. It could be difficult to make a pretty significant impact when you're an 18, 19-year-old kid coming to college right off the bat and you're having to play against grown men. But at the same time, I think that's also a really good experience and that could really prepare you well for the NBA. Uh, One thing also in particular I wanted to ask you about. So uh, you mentioned Scoot Henderson and the fact that it's looking like he's either going to go either number two or number three. Portland is definitely a, a team in the mix. They have the number three overall pick. He played this past season for G League Ignite. And we know that in the past few years, G League Ignite, I, I feel like we haven't even seen the best of it yet. They've uh, produced some very good prospects in the league. Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, those are the guys that come to mind. But I wanted to get your opinion on guys coming from an environment like that, over or G League Ignite or the Thompson Twins coming in from overtime elite. When you're comparing a prospect like that who played in that system in the G League Ignite's case against uh, professional players – literal grown men G League players, do you, does anything stand out to you in terms of guys coming from that background compared to the normal college route? Because us as big college basketball fans, I feel like we're obviously much more familiar with the prospects that we saw play college basketball each and every day. But I do find it interesting that there are so many different paths to get to the league. We know as recent as 15 to 20 years ago, the NBA was allowing uh, players to come straight to the league from high school. Uh, the one and done era kind of put 
a stop to that. But now we're back in terms of just having many different routes. When you're a team that's drafting and that's looking for your next superstar in the draft, is there anything that comes to mind when you're comparing guys uh, coming from different backgrounds? I would, you know, first of all, I would like it better coming coming from Ignite. I think that's that's better. I mean, that's a better comparison. You're running a pro-style system with other professional players against professional players. I like that setup. I'm not a fan of people going to college to go to the NBA. Like, I think you should go to college because you want to go to college. And I think we should have a system where if you don't want to go to college, you can take another route to go to the NBA, right? Um, you know, I think making making players have to go to the NBA for a one-and-done situation doesn't does not benefit anyone. It doesn't benefit the coaches. It doesn't benefit the players uh, at the highest level. You know, some of them do a great job with it, but some of them don't even take classes in the second semester, right? So, or don't even go to class the second semester. So I just think that part of the system is difficult for me to to grasp. And I would love for it to be where you can go. If you're going to be a professional player, you're in this track. If you want to be, you want to go to college, you're in this track. And that still means you can go to the NBA, but it looks differently. So I think as an evaluator, I like the fact that I can look at how they're playing and I can say how it, I can see how it translates. I do like that. It gives me a, a less of a window. Um, now, does it tell me, you know, there's a lot of guys that play in the G League that are great G League players that aren't great NBA players. And so you still have to make a comparison. Well, as a 19 year old, he did this against 25, 26 years old. You still have to try to figure that out. But I do like that better. Uh, in terms of just seeing what they're able to develop. I think you're able to see them more, you're able to evaluate them more. You just have more information, which I think is better for everyone. One more point on Scoot I wanted to hit on. So I think the number two pick with the Charlotte Hornets is right off the bat, the most interesting decision that has to be made within this draft, because I totally understand the argument that, okay, Scoot Henderson, he might be the second best player in this draft, However, when you look at the Hornets and the way their team is set up right now, they have a dominant ball handling guard in LaMelo Ball. But I wanted to give you an example and uh, your opinion on this. So a few years ago, the Golden State Warriors, they had the number two pick in the 2020 NBA draft. And it was an interesting pick because there were a ton of really good arguments for who they should take, but they ended up going James Wiseman with the number two pick in that draft. And even though he had a very limited sample size in college, that was an interesting pick because they made it realizing like, okay, we could have had LaMelo Ball, but we didn't really know what that would look like pairing him with Steph Curry. And that is a pick that hasn't necessarily worked out for James Wiseman. When you're in a team like the Charlotte Hornets position, picking at number two, are you more favored towards picking the best player available or the guy that fits the positional need? Because I think this is one of, off the bat, like the most interesting questions that teams go through in really every draft that they have to figure out, the the question of positional need versus best player available. I think it's different in each sport uh, when you're comparing it to the NBA uh, and the NFL, but how would you go about that if you were team picking in that situation? I think drafting for positional need is always dangerous. Um, yeah, if you go to like the Bill Belichick book of drafting, you never draft for need. You always draft the best player. Um, <clears throat> I'm a big believer in that. No, I think you have to get – it has to fit, has to work and all that. Um, but I, I I also think, like, when you're drafting for need, you're in danger because you have an ability to reach for something that isn't there. And we talk about, like, James Wiseman. I mean, think about this. If James Wiseman, number one, his career is not done. He came onto a team that was very good. He's actually had some productive games – if that worked for them, 
then this Draymond Green conversation right now is completely different. So I actually think it's like great management. The hardest thing to find the NBA is a shot blocker with some perimeter skills. He has that. So if that would have panned out, that would have put them in a whole another upper echelon of conversation where I think you know, they could have opted into his last year's rookie deal here and they could have had a really, a really talented large player who can make a lot of plays, giving themselves one more championship run. Um, so I don't look at his situation as a bust. Um, I don't know. I, I just think it's incomplete right now. He hasn't had a chance to prove what he can do. Um, so I, I, I kind of start there with that. Um, and I just think it's dangerous if you go positional need, like try to take the best player, try to figure out a way to make it work. Um, and I feel like sometimes, most of the times it will work itself out. If it's the right person, um, it'll work itself through. Definitely. And speaking of person, I, I think that's very important to realize, like these teams making these decisions it is very important character and how you act off the court are you able to contribute to a winning environment? Th- those are definitely some of the questions that these teams are asking when it comes to the next player that they're going to be drafting and adding to their team. But I wanted to get into some prospects. Well, let, let me add one thing quick. When the Lakers took Kobe Bryant, Eddie Eddie Jones was, I think, borderline all-NBA player. <laughs> right? So that's why I say, like, y- it'll kind of work itself out if you take the best player. And I think at the time when they took Kobe, everybody said, oh, they had Eddie Jones. He had a great year. And, you know, within two years, Kobe Bryant was starting on that team. And, and you know, people don't talk about Eddie Jones much. He was a great – he was a really, really good NBA player. Um, that's why I would say it works itself out. Kobe Bryant found himself, found the stride as the right person, did came off the bench as a rookie. You know, two years later, three years later, he's all NBA. So, with that, what about the Hornets and the position they're in? Like, if, I think everyone is going to have their different opinion on who the second-best mm-hmm. player in this draft is, either Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller. And right now, I, I don't even know if they've made an exact decision on what direction they're going to go in. But let's just say, theoretically, the Charlotte Hornets do believe that Scoot Henderson is the second best player in this draft. But they're not exactly sure whether to take him because they don't know if he'd fit with LaMelo Ball. If you're an executive in that room when they're having that conversation, are there any points in particular you would bring up to either sway their direction or their decision in either argument, in either way? Well, I I believe that that LaMelo Ball and Sue can play together. I think the days of one dominant ball handler, those are those are well behind us. Uh, so I believe those two guys can play well with each other. I believe those guys can complement each other and create for one another. So I'm not in that camp that says that the Hornets couldn't take Scoot. Um, I, I think LaMelo's a good enough passer, a good enough player, Scoot the same way. You know, I did a bunch of research on championship level teams, and the biggest things you have to have in your number one and number two player are the, is that they complement one another. Um, I haven't seen those guys play together, but I think they're good enough passers where they can complement one another, and that would like, that could potentially make it work if they had enough shooting on the roster. Um, but I I think Brandon Miller is just such a unique player. If not for Victor Wembanyama, he is the number one player in the draft. He proved that this season in college basketball. You know, he did something in college basketball that we're not talking enough about. He won. He won. One of the best teams in the country, handling all kinds of pressure all year long, showed up every single game, just about every game, and performed under extreme pressure. You know, guys like Ben Simmons were getting drafted number one, and they never won. You know, Trey Young went top ten, and they didn't win. They barely barely made the NCAA tournament in Oklahoma, right? Like, I think there is a component that's important about winning. And I think Brandon Miller has won. I also think when you look at MJ's track record of taking players, 
he takes high major players over and over again. You know, there's Michigan State, there's North Carolina, there's Duke. I mean, there's a guy, you know, he hasn't stretched on where these guys have played at before. So that would tell me that those, that they really value that high major experience from someone. And I would think they would look at Scoot and say, maybe he doesn't have that yet. So we know what Brandon Miller can give us. So let's, at 6'9", the way he shoots the ball from the outside, the way he handles the ball, he also compliments the mellow, gives you a really nice two-man game. You can play naked side, pick and roll all day, and that's really hard for people to guard. A lot of really good points there, and you're definitely right about not only MJ and the direction he usually leans in in terms of uh, the high major players, but also winning in college basketball. Another name that you uh, didn't bring up is Markel Foles. That's another good example of a guy that just went really high in the draft and, and hasn't uh, won a ton. But I think it's really interesting to see what the Hornets do. I really could see them going in either direction. And Brandon Miller, you said it, 6'9", 200 pounds, the ability to shoot the basketball. He played for a winning team. He definitely d- uh, does check a lot of boxes. And I think either way, he'll go either two or three. Uh, and I'd be interested to see him in Portland, possibly uh, with Dame Lillard as well. But let's get into some of the other prospects that we haven't really hit a ton on yet. I wanted to go, uh, and going back to the overtime elite and uh, G League Ignite versus the college basketball argument, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Thompson twins, Amin and Asar. These are two really good, two really athletic players, but I feel like a, a lot of people that are going to be listening to this, they don't really know what exactly their game is a, a lot yet because we just haven't seen them as much. And I'm really looking forward to seeing them more and more in the NBA. But just for a basic scouting report, Amen, he's more of a lead guard, like a true point guard. And watching him on film, the athleticism obviously pops off the charts. He's very good at getting through tight spaces, like breaking double teams and getting to the rim. And that's always something you would really like to have in your lead guard. But at the same time, he does have a little bit of a weakness shooting the basketball. Now, the good news for that is that is one skill that could really improve as you get older with the more work, the more reps you put in, the more basketball you play. Aaron and I spoke a little bit about that with Anthony Black as his one small weakness, even though he's great with the ball in his hands. Uh, And the thing is, when you have that ability to get to the rim, that is just right off the bat something really good that could help your team win and that will make other players around you better. So when you look at his game, is that shooting concern at all a worry for you? Because I, you, you're you not going to want to compare him to guys in the NBA just yet, right away, but guys like De'Aaron Fox, guys like John Morant, you see their jump shot, it gets a little bit better uh, with the more work, the more reps they put in, and with the ability to get to the rim, that's something that's obviously going to help a team win. But when you watched uh, Amen Thompson on film, did anything stand out to you, and what do you think of him as a prospect? Well, I think, first of all, I think the – comparisons are always really tough. You know, I remember watching Derrick Rose play. You know, he was so good at 15, 15 feet making jump shots. I remember the same thing watching Jason Kidd play coming out of, coming out of, uh, coming out of Cal. Um, we kind of go down the list of, of players that you thought like a lot, like, you know, those guys that you look at, you say, man, like they did make shots. Um, I'm always concerned with counting on a player to improve their shot because it's not a given. And it's actually, as a coach, I found it one of the hardest things for someone to improve upon. Really? Wow. I don't take it as a given. Uh, I think sometimes people think, well, we can get more reps, you can get, and those things are all true. But the way you naturally play is sort of the way you naturally play. Um, so, I mean, you when you look at the history of NBA drafts, you say, oh, if this guy gets a jumper, he'll be 
it's probably 90% of, of the guys that don't make it that long. So that does concern me. But what I do like about Amin, I do like his playmaking ability. And I, I do put that at the upper echelon. I don't think it's all about shooting. But the way the NBA is played now, his ability to get downhill off a of DHO, off a of pick and roll or in transition and create for somebody else, you know, you're going to a guy who can pass with either hand, create for other players, high basketball IQ, has good size, seven-foot reach, so you can make the passes that you need to make. Those things are exciting. Um, you know, you, you think about like Ricky Rubio was never a great shooter, was a really strong NBA player because of how he could move the ball and, and create for others. Um, so I put him in in that category, plus with the elite athleticism. We'll love to see how he defends, you know, like because if he defends and can make plays the way we're talking about, he's going to have a really long NBA career, whether he makes shots or not. Um, so if he doesn't defend and can only make plays in transition, he just won't. But I think he has the ability to do all those different things. Absolutely. And that's the one thing that really stood out stood out off the charts for me. Like that athleticism, that's not something you could teach. And, and he's, I agree, he could have a really long NBA career, along with his twin brother as well. Like I found it very interesting how they played for the same team with Overtime Elite. And at, both of them at the same time had some similar qualities and both their games are really different as well. With Asar, he did play two years at Overtime Elite compared to his brother who uh, played only one year. They did win uh, the, the version of their championship, which is good to see. Always want to have winning players. And he was much better off the ball, but at the same time, the athleticism, it popped. And the shooting, it, it definitely is an interesting question because you want to believe that the guy that you're putting so much faith in will improve, will get better, will work hard. But from these pre-draft meetings, it's really hard to tell sometimes, you know, it's really hard to get an accurate grasp on just who someone is from these short meetings. You're not really spending a lot of time together. And that's really what makes these executives and their decisions so difficult. And look, they're also going to hear on workouts on coaches and, and light personnel where you're not really being physical and can't get into these guys enough, you know, so I don't know if you really are going to figure out how a guy ticks, you know, one thing about being at a place like overtime elite or, um, you're going to sort of learn how to speak the language. I mean, I would imagine that all year long they've been preparing for draft conversations and learning how to answer the questions the right way. Um, so I don't know if that's going to be the, the best indicator. Um, but what I do like, like about Asar is I do like how he improved his shooting this year. Um, I, I thought that did make a big jump looking at looking at how he shot it and looking through the course of the year. It makes sense for him to be a wing as brother be a point guard. I don't know if they could both be wings. I don't know if they could both be point guards, right? Um, you know, someone's got to pass to someone in the backyard and someone turns out to be a playmaker and the other one ends up being a scorer. I'm sure that's how it is in a lot of families. So that doesn't surprise me, but I do like that. He did show a level of improvement. I think he got to 33% this year. That's a, that's a, that's a big positive. Again, they're very similar athleticism and how they can kind of move. But I think his ability to get in with some different kind of trainers and stuff is going to be huge as it will be for Amin, right? Like just the ability to learn a little bit differently. I'm sure they've been doing so many things that are very similar and they're picking up differently. So, you know, landing in the right spot with the right kind of coaching staff and the right kind of development staff that really understands their game and allows them to kind of change and, and grow within it is going to be really, really huge. Um, but I like to see that improvement early on. That improvement early on, I think, is really impressive. So I think you made some really good points uh, at the beginning of this show about the one-and-done rule and how it doesn't really benefit anyone, either side, either the player or the coaches. And one player that was one-and-done this past year that's going to go pretty high in this draft that I wanted to bring up next is Cam Whitmore from Villanova. And the thing about him that makes his situation so unique, I think, is 
he had some injuries right at the start of the season. He had a thumb injury and he didn't come back until pretty late uh, in non-conference play, right when Villan- this was after Villanova went through a little bit of a schneid and they missed the NCAA tournament for the first time in over a decade. Of course, that was the first season without Jay Wright. You're going to understand that. But when you're uh, someone having to make a decision on who to draft and you look at a guy like Cam Whitmore, who, again, it wasn't a normal season. He he got hurt. He came back about midway through the season and he was really good. Like you see why he's going to be drafted this high, but he's another guy I would put into the conversation of we haven't necessarily seen the best version of him in college. And hopefully we're going to be able to see that in the NBA. Just how difficult is it when you're someone that's about to draft a kid like Cam Whitmore, where you don't even have as much film or as much tape as him compared to some of the other prospects considering the injury. And it's very difficult in basketball. We know how big chemistry is, and we know when you've been playing with someone for a really long time, that's going to make you better. When you're evaluating a prospect like Whitmore, what do you put into that decision when you're evaluating someone in a position like that who may not have had the most normal path to the draft in terms of his last season of college to get here? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, I think there at some points in college basketball, Brandon Miller and Kim Whitmore were one and two going back and forth for that. Um, typically, if you're ranked in the top 20, it says you're going to be a pro, that you're going to be a, that you're going to be in the NBA someday. If you're rated that high, one or two, it says you got an opportunity to be a, a, obviously a lottery pick. So they're going to take a lot of that information. You know, these guys now are playing in front of so many, so many people early on. You've got USA basketball opportunities when they're playing when they're 14, 15, 16 years old. You've got all these, all these Nike camps. You've got Adidas camps. You've got all these different All-American camps that these guys play in that NBA personnel often have a chance to be invited to and get a chance to watch. You know, last year I had a chance to work Chris Paul camp with a few of these guys that will be drafted this year. And, you know, there were, there were over 100 NBA personnel there to watch those three days of camp. Um, so I don't think the Villanova thing will, will hurt him. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he went to Portland, to be honest with you, um, just because it seems to be a little bit better fit you know, the NBA mold for building a championship roster is with a 6'5 or 6'6 wing. I don't know. I don't know if that's maybe that'll change with, with Joe Kitch and these guys right now in the NBA playoffs, but that's typically been it. You know, you need a guy like Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. You need that sort of size to be an NBA champion. And Portland doesn't have that right now. And they'll have an opportunity with a guy like Cam Whitmore to do that. So I don't think the evaluation for Cam Whitmore is as difficult as people will think because they've been able to see him so much through the years. Um, they also had a chance to watch him play really well at Villanova at the end of the year, which I think is really exciting to show that he was able to improve on some areas and do some things. And I think for him, him getting healthy at the end of the year, being able to go into these draft workouts and really perform well, I think has been, been a big benefit. From all the information that I'm getting is that his stock is really rising, and I'm not really surprised by that. Absolutely, especially he's healthy now. He's all set. He's been back uh, for a few months. So that's definitely not surprising at all. And I would like to see that that fit in Portland because, as you said, everyone is looking for the next Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. And 6'6", 235, that's a really good size. We know he has the ability to shoot the basketball. And Brandon Miller, too, a, a guy, a wing at that size, the Thompson Twins. Looking at these prospects right off the bat, like there are some really good wings, and I think it might just come down to which team is able to nail that off the bat. Um, the next guy I wanted to bring up to you, in my opinion, he could be the biggest boom or bust prospect in this draft. And that's what, again, what makes these executives' decisions so hard is they have to make the right pick with this selection in terms of guys that are all really good, whether it was at the college level or uh, overtime leader G League Ignite. But Keontae George of Baylor, there were times last year where this kid 
looked like the best prospect in the country. He could make a shot from anywhere. But then at the same time, he had some freshman growing pains. I think he is a very good example of a, a one and done that may not have really benefited a ton from going to college, but that's the route that's going to give you the most exposure. What do you think of Keontae George? Where would you take him in this draft? And do you view him as a guy where if all things go right, it could work out really well. But if he is drafted to somewhere that's not a great fit, who knows how it ends up? I think Keontae George really needs to go to the right fit. Um, I think he's a guy who can really – I know he's a guy that can really create offense for himself. Um, I don't necessarily think that going to college helped his helped him um, because – I don't think, you know, he was able to dominate the level that people would have wanted to see him dominate. But going to the right place with a strong coaching staff is going to be really important for him. Um, you know, there are a lot of guys in the NBA that are 6'4", 6'5", 205 pounds like a split ball. You know, it's sort of the land of, of that. So he's going to have to be special in doing that if that's what he does well. Um, we'll love to see him on the defensive end, really be able to buy into that side of it, become a really great two-way player. Um, I mean, he's he's got all the ability there. I mean, he could be a top five pick in this draft. I think he's being projected at between you know ten and twenty um, because of the year that he's that he was able to have. And I think there's obviously some kind of concerns that popped up through the year. Um, but I think it's an interesting name. Like if a guy like Keontae George ends up on a winning team and a winning franchise, kind of what we talked about with James Wiseman, that could be something that really benefits you in year four and five as he comes into his to his age of recognition and where he'd be able to be at his best. Absolutely. So I wanted to give you the four. Were there any other prospects in particular that stood out to you, whether it's where they're rated or where they're about to get drafted, that you think might be a little bit underrated, a little bit off the radar, that if you were a GM or executive, you would be in a hurry to draft? Anyone really stand out to you? I mean, we talked about this through the year. I mean, I love Jordan Hood, you know, uh, you know, having spent time with him and watching him. I mean, spend, I got to spend three days with him, how he likes to work, how he likes to attack it, the way he sees the game. The way he the way he makes others better around him, the energy that he comes in at the gym with, uh, I, I love his game. Uh, moving from the two guard spot this year when, when uh, Xavier Johnson went down, having to play the point guard spot, tough first game, great second game, tough third game, great fourth game, and then started finding consistency. That's the kind of improvement I want to see with a guy coming into the roster, like you know, like Christian Brown, like is doing for the Nuggets. Like, can this guy come in in the first year, and make an impact on our roster? not having to be what he wants to be, but being what the team needs him to be. I think Jordan Pichofino can do those things. Uh, I love the way he's able to pass the ball, the pace he's able to play with. Um, just a big fan of him. And, and and I'm not even saying I'm biased. Like, when I was with him, I'm just digging on information to see, like, how this guy's going to handle stuff. And I think he's built to handle the pressure of being an NBA player. You know, if he doesn't play early in the season, he's going to keep getting better. He's going to make an impact at some point on somebody's roster. Um, so love Jalen Pichofino. I think Derek Lively. Isn't getting enough appreciation watching him play uh, in high school and then in Duke this year. Every one of these teams is looking for a ball handling five man who can also protect at the rim, can guard the pick and roll. I look at it and I go, he's exactly that. Um, you know, if you look how much money that they're paying these centers right now, like like Rudy Gobert, where Derek Lively has an opportunity to be like a Rudy Gobert, right? And you're going to get him on a rookie contract just outside the lottery probably. Man, that could be really valuable for for you when you start looking at these options for the fourth and fifth year. So those are a couple of guys that I'm really up on. Uh, I just think those guys are, have a chance to be really, really special. Um, and then I also think Derek Whitehead is falling a bit because of his injury concern. 
But uh, I can see him being a guy, like, he was outstanding. The way he can shoot the ball and the way he has the ability to score the ball, um, if he can recover from that injury, he's going to end up on a good team that won't need him this year to rush back. And that could be really good for his true rookie season, which might be a year from now, if he, depending on his injury, how long it takes him to recover. You know, he's got a chance to be pretty good. I mean, you're talking about Jordan Hawkins and Grady Dick, how the way they shoot the ball. And I would put, put him right up there with the way that he shoots the ball with those three guys, with those two guys. And I think that's dangerous because he's a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit more athletic. Um, and uh, I, I think those are the guys I really look at. Definitely. I look at guys like Lively and uh, Whitehead. Those are two really good examples, kind of in the same position as Whitmore, right? They both struggled a little bit with injuries throughout the last year. And I do think both those guys in particular, we're going to see better versions of them at the pro level than we really ever did see at college. I definitely think those two, Nick Smith from Arkansas is another guy that comes to mind that might be a little bit underdrafted based on the season that they had, but whoever gets them going to get pretty good value. And with Huchifino, One thing I was really impressed with about him is we have seen so many times through the years watching college basketball is kids that reclassify, especially a little bit late, might not make that impact right away just considering they're playing a level up compared to their age. But Huchifino right away, especially considering the position he was put in, you mentioned it with Xavier Johnson getting hurt, like the way he was able to be so consistent in such a tough league like the Big Ten, that really stood out to me, and I definitely think he's worthy of being a lottery-type pick. I was really impressed with uh, what he was able to do throughout the season. But just keep uh, looking at these names. Uh, there are a couple other guys that are projected to go right now about midway or late in the first round, maybe early second round that stand out to me. I'm a big fan of Kobe Jones from Xavier. He has really good size, 6'5", 199. I think you put him on the wing. He could be a guy that goes to a winning team, kind of like Whitehead, uh, like you said, that could help out right away. Terquevion Smith from NC State, just about a year ago, he was a guy that many people projected to be a lottery pick in the draft, but he decided uh, to come back to school. Uh, He had a pretty good year. I think whoever gets him is going to have some pretty good value. And also Noah Clowney from Alabama, very raw, but I do think there's a reason why he went from a guy who was not even a top 100 recruit coming out of high school to a guy that's going to be drafted in this NBA draft. This is a deep draft. Like the more I look at these names, I think they're going to be guys going late in the first round, early second round that can make an impact right away to winning. I think age could have a lot to do with that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time. I mean, basketball's in a good place in terms of how players are developing and their ability to understand what they're up against and what they need to do to get to the next level. I think that's being communicated at a younger level, and guys are working towards that much earlier. And, again, you have a lot of these trainers right now that are working with the NBA players and also working with the best players in the country. And the USA Basketball Experience gives them a chance to work all together, see what each one's doing, and a chance to play internationally. I just think where the game is right now, we're going to start seeing this a little bit more. But there's still a limited number of roster spots. So you still have to work yourself in. You still have to find a way to beat up some sort of veteran to get there. Um, and so that's why the team that you end up on becomes so important. He is former D1 head coach and a great contributor with us here at Aaron Torres Media. Jamie and Christian, coach, thank you so much for joining us. I had a great time. Looking forward to doing it again soon. Always. Thank you so much.